Hey, my friend, it's Julie Clough here, your life and grief coach. Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast. I'm grateful to be here with you today to sit in this space and be. Be with the grief and in the healing, to create space for peace and to share hope for rebuilding your life one small step at a time. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Build a Life After Loss. I'm super excited today to have Cindy Benezra with me. She is an author, an inspirational speaker, entrepreneur, and sexual abuse advocate. She is the author of the newly released memoir, Under the Orange Blossoms. I love that name. It's so beautiful. Cindy is the founder of Cindy Talks, a platform where she discusses healing tools and stories of hope for other trauma survivors. She engages with her readers through honesty, humility, and genuine care for those who have walked a similar path. Cindy is also the co-founder of a luxury event company, where she spends much of her time creating beautiful spaces for some of the most important events in people's lives. Her eye for style and design has won elite events, numerous awards, and spotlight features. Currently, Cindy and her husband reside in Seattle, Washington, and are parents of four adult children. Adult children are the best. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Cindy. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, And just having seen some of your work. I, there's no doubt that you've won awards for your style and design because you really do have such a beautiful style. Oh, I have a amazing, my work with my daughter and she's just amazing. She has, we work really well together. So she's sort of like the, the front person I'm kind of behind the scenes. So it works out really well. That's really fun. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your story. What, what caused you to be in this space of advocating for um, abuse survivors, for writing your book and so forth. Tell us a little bit about it. When I was younger, I was sexually abused by my father um, for a long period of time. And it started at five. And um, when I was a teenager, I had repressed memories and they kind of came back in fragmented parts of dreams. And that's when I realized that these were no longer dreams. They were actually, it was actually reality. It was a long process of healing. I really didn't talk about it much because I had a lot of shame, grief around it, denial, um, anger, confusion, and I didn't know who to trust. I think I was very betrayed by adults, people in general. So I was very, and I still am pretty mistrusting. It really takes a lot unless somebody, unless I see someone's truly genuine, then I think like, okay, I could probably trust this person. And then I just surrender and just let go. But it, it took a long time to, to do that. I mean, it's, I've had years of therapy. I have tried everything that you could possibly imagine traditional therapy, um, whatever it would took or take to get me there. And I think it's still an ongoing journey and now I'm with healers like you. And I realize it's not, it's sort of like a community and there's different ways. I, I think I'm, I have a more of expanded mind of it takes time and it's a process and there's not a bullet. There's not a pill. 
it's a process and it's a slow one. And you have to really allow that come to come through and be open to everybody who happens to cross your way. It could be just a smile that day. So it could be very simplistic or could be very complex. So when I became an adult, I realized that I had to share this because I couldn't have gone through all this trauma to just keep it to myself. And I really kind of started off with writing a cookbook, but as I was writing this cookbook for entertaining, um, it, it came out where I thought, you know what? I think this is my story. I think this is where I have to begin. Maybe I'll write that cookbook later. And so that, that was kind of like my journey on this. And I think it just, it was like something was locked here. And I think I kind of unleashed it. And I realized that there are so many people out there who are, we all go through different losses and they come out in different periods of our life. And when I started sharing my story, I realized that, you know, men and women, I mean, just it's the universal story that we all go through hard times and good times. And how do we get through that? What's that, that zest or that spark that just drives us through it? Or how do we find our answers? How do we find hope and inspiration? And so that was kind of like a driving factor. And now it's just sort of taken a a life of its own. And I still, I do this on the side, but this is really like what I am inspired to do is to share with others what I have gone through and that there's light, that there's hope for everybody. Hope is so huge. That's a big, big, big part of our healing because if we don't encourage the hope, then then we don't have the courage to move forward. Yeah, I think so. And always little steps just to get there. When I was younger, I remember that's part of what the orange blossoms are. I would run away to the orange blossoms and it was sort of my sanctuary because I know I knew no one would find me there. Um, but it smelled beautiful. It was gorgeous and it was very hidden because I knew no one could find me there. But where I was going with that is that in there, I found a lot of hope just in nature and just being quiet with myself because I didn't know how, who to share with. I didn't know how much to share or not. to. Sh- it was very, very confusing of who I should trust. And in there, I think I found a lot of self-guidance um, and listened to myself of what what I needed to do, but I didn't know anybody who made it through. I mean, I was only five, six, seven. So I didn't have any people or survivors to ask if if I was going to get through. And so that was my quest, my constant quest and search. Like, am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? You know, and I think it was that curiosity of, will I be okay? And that hope that I would be okay. But I really do think that that's by storytelling, that's what gets us through. And sometimes it's shared in some awkward place where you just kind of go, oh, well, but thank you. That that was, I wasn't expecting that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your, your example of going into nature, nature is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It really, um, it really sweeps our soul in, in some beautiful way that, that the energy of nature just, really comforts us and strengthens us, I find. And and looking back, you know, on my own experiences, I can see 
I can see different things that were particular to my journey that were so healing and so helpful. And it's, um, it's interesting to hear, you know, when you share like how important that was for you to escape into the orange blossoms, to feel that, you know, to be in that space where you couldn't be found, where you, you had that safety mm-hmm. in those moments, how healing and, and how beautiful, even though it was dangerous. I knew it was dangerous, but it was like a blanket of leaves that were covering me and it smelled good. And I could look at the roots and go, okay, somehow this orange tree grew in this muddy berm and it survived. And so can I, and uh, I don't know, I would hear the birds or the leaves and it, it was just extremely healing. It wasn't, it was just learning how to tap into my heart and listen to myself for the first time. Well, for sure. And and in those circumstances where your trust has been damaged, mm-hmm. tremendously damaged, what a beautiful gift to have that experience where you could connect to self. Because when you're going through trauma, it's so disconnecting. Right. Yeah. Not oddly, but I don't even know what the right word is, but I, I did go through, you know, having um, feelings of loss through this later on. And I was looking for hope, but as I became an adult and I had children, four children, um, my youngest son has special needs and he was born with a rare brain tumor and it grew in utero. And I discovered a different kind of loss and a different kind of grief that it's ongoing today. So the one that I had in childhood, in some ways, oddly prepared me for my son. And I don't want to say that, but that's the best way I could describe it. But it kind of prepared me. But I still grieve. He's 30 years old. I still grieve about what he goes through and the things he says, and he could articulate it. And it's hard. And when I watch him struggle, you know, just struggle to do the normal things that we take for granted. I, it's hard. It's really, really hard. In fact, yesterday I was just watching my husband get a haircut and I saw a little boy there and he was getting his haircut. Oh, he must have been seven to 10, somewhere there. And he was just so cute. And I thought, my son never had that experience, like of getting his haircut in a regular barbershop and um, growing his hair out because he has scars on his head from, from surgeries. And I thought, oh, my son never got that. And I had to stop myself and say, how beautiful is this? And look at this gorgeous boy. Look how beautiful and look the way he looks at his mom. And isn't it beautiful how he thanked, you know, that the beautician and said, thank you for my hair, you know, popped off the chair. And I just thought, oh, I, you know, it was, it's constantly, I I constantly grieve for the loss of the things that he cannot be or do. And I know everybody grieves in a different way, maybe loss of limbs or different things, but this is an ongoing grief that I still have. And I wasn't sometimes I'm still not even prepared for it. And I don't think it's ever going to end ever. I really just don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay. And I tell people, well, that this is me. This is, I'm going, this is who I am. This is why I will always be pregnant. Yeah. 
Well, and what you shared about your prior experience influencing how you went through the loss of your your son's situation, the loss of experiencing that makes total sense to me because I had experiences before my children died that completely informed my experience of loss and grief after um, David and Carrie died, you know, losing my brother uh, to suicide and, and going through a divorce. I'd been through hard losses before that felt devastating. And so then when my kids died, I, I could look back on that and go, okay, this feels harder. Like all of us experience losses at different levels, but you know, losing my kids definitely just felt completely shattering and overwhelming. But I could look back on being in that space of pain previously and moving through it and realizing, okay, things did get better. So in my mind, even in that horrible pain after David and Carrie died, I was able to look back and go, okay, things got better. Maybe maybe this can get better too. Maybe I can start feeling better too. So it makes total sense. I think we, I think when we're faced with difficult situations, mm-hmm. our mind goes to, okay, how did I do this before? What, what, what do I, what experience do I bring to this situation that can help me to, to move through? Right. Right. Because of Brian's surgeries, he maxed out a million dollars. This was 30 years ago. Because, mm. he, yeah, he maxed a million dollars on one surgery. And this is at the very beginning. Wow. And so it was an experimental surgery. I had medical bills stacked up. How overwhelming. And, oh, it was tragic. Um, but it happens often. A lot of times when people accrue a lot of medical bills, you know, you go into debt because you're maybe your insurance pays 20%. But if your numbers are high up there, well, I ended up losing my home and I ended up getting divorced. Um, I ended up going on the system. And just before we got our assisted housing, I slept in my car with my kids and I mean, it got pretty grim. Oh. And I was thinking like, <laughs> I kept on trying to take the parallels in my life, like, okay, this is a different form of loss. And I remember standing in a food line with my kids and I thought, okay, I am now this time I'm at my lowest, you know, but I kept on thinking, well, hold on. I, you know, lost the experience of having my first sexual encounter. And I thought, okay, that was gone. And I was grieving that. And um, because it was with my father and not the normal process, and then I thought, okay, um, I don't know if my son's going to survive. So it's every day it was just a gift. You know, the moments were a gift because I really did not know if Brian was going to make it. In fact, he's the only person in recorded history who's ever survived this type of tumor. Wow. And to this day, so I didn't think about the neg, well, the fact that of him being gone, but I thought like, well, I'm going to cherish this moment. So whatever I have, I'm going to take. So I really did live day by day, moment by moment. And whatever I could take, I was going to have it, even if it was in the car standing in a food line. And I remember going back and going, okay, like this is a different kind of loss and thinking I wasn't expecting this, but in oddly, it was in different ways. 
I learned something from each one, but it, it felt completely, completely different. And I think it was because I could watch my kids, but they were, they thought everything was fine. And I kept on trying to hold on to, they think this is, this is fine. We would go for walks like normal. They were, they still had every meal, you know, accommodated for, um, we went to the park every day. And I just told them we were sleeping in our car, you know, on a camping expedition until we could get into our housing and they were still really happy. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe my life, this happened to me. Like, why me? And I think if I look back at every stage, it was just sort of like, why me? But when I saw my daughter, I would read to the kids every night. And she said, hey, mommy, I have everything I want in this car. I have you, I have you, you know, I have my dolly. And I was thinking like, like, this is horrible. But she was looking at like, I have everything I need. I have all my favorite clothes, my favorite animals, you know, we're going for a walk, we're on vacation. And she said, basically, well, we should write a list. And so I wrote a mental list of what I did have, which was not much. I mean, I had my pots and pans in the car. I really didn't have anything. And I realized in that, I thought it was like, okay, memories. I have my memories. I have my health. I have gratitude. And I think that was kind of like my process of, of learning, like to be thankful for just the small things in life. And it still chokes me up because that is still one of the things that I practice to this day was something that my daughter showed me as a young girl. And I thought, okay. And when that exercise started happening, I think it started to change my perspective. Like, what do I have? I mean, everything has been taken away, but what do I have? And what do I have to be grateful for every day? And I have to tell you, it wasn't much. Sometimes I would write in my journal, I have a hot cup of coffee this morning. I have a hot cup of coffee and my favorite mug. When things have been taken away from you and you start all over and you really start building on that, it's kind of eye-opening and it teaches you things that, well, I didn't even know that was possible. So it was a new beginning, a new way of thinking and, um, I started to do tools of uh, writing down every day. Okay, um, I can't. This is the time I'm going to grieve. I know it was very me- mechanical, but I'd write, "This is the time I'm going to grieve," and I would cry. And sometimes I would read a book, and if the kids turned over and they looked at me and they said, "Why are you crying, mommy?" I'm like, "Okay, this book is just beautiful. It's inspiring." But I knew I had to cry. I had to find something that was moving or happy or sad or inspirational so that I could cry. And when my kids would go, oh, okay, you know, she has a human emotion. I didn't want to hide the fact that I wasn't grieving. So they were like, oh, okay. And, you know, they would like wipe my tears aside or, you know, I would, I was taking care of myself and then I would force myself like, okay, we're going to play because I don't know if I'm going to have this day again with with any of them. I don't know if I'm going to have this experience. And I think I just started living by the day and just doing things and forcing myself, even if they were uncomfortable to do. And then something in that I felt very accomplished. I didn't check off everything. I thought, geez, I feel so accomplished. 
And um, it kind of gave me joy. And so I would just kind of look like, okay, I had a warm cup of coffee. I'm feeling really good. Checked off my checklist. And no, I don't have anything, but I'm okay. And that was kind of like my journey on, okay, yes, things have been taken away, but I'm still here and I matter and I matter. So what am I going to do with this? That was a very big process for me. Yeah, that there is so much wisdom in what you what you shared. You know, taking the time to feel sad, taking the time to recognize that this is hard, and that these emotions have to come out somewhere somehow. You know, so taking that time, um, taking the time to play, to experience life not just from the depth of the sorrow but from the the place of appreciation for what you do have, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then bringing some life and light into that with play and with a gratitude practice of going, okay, everything's been taken away, but what do I still have? Like really focusing on what you have. Right. And um, I, I think it's one of the interesting things, you know, sometimes we call it law of attraction, you can call it whatever, but the, uh, I think one of the things that's really interesting is when we have a great gratitude appreciation for what we have, we really set ourselves up for more. Yeah. We open ourselves for abundance. And then the fact that you were able to and this is just beautiful. The fact that you are able to look at your day and go check off the list and say, look what I've accomplished and feel accomplished, even from that place of feeling like everything had been ripped away. And that's mm-hmm. remarkable. Did you recognize that at the time? Or is this something that looking back on it, you're going, okay, because I remember I'll just, I've shared this a few times. So everyone's heard this, I'm sure. But I remember after my divorce, I would lay on the floor at night, like on the floor, on the carpet and listen to sad music and cry. And I thought I was super pathetic. You know, I'd come (laughs) home from work. I'd put my kids to bed and then I'd lay on the floor, listen to sad music and cry. Not every night, but a lot of the time. And I thought I was super pathetic. But now looking back, I'm like, that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. Oh, I need that place to grieve. I felt pathetic. I didn't recognize what I was doing. And actually, all I know is it felt good. I felt better and I was able to go on to the next step. That's all I knew. I wasn't really thinking about anything Zen or I wasn't thinking it. I was just trying to get through the moments in survival. That's all it is in survival mode. And yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, that's it. You know, I now I look back and now I look back about, you know, just being thankful. And now I look back at the lessons, but that is 30 years of practicing this. But yeah. So I, I do look back at that as a gift. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I completely relate to being on the ground. I sometimes would um, slump down and just cry. And I would think, you know, just have my space. And I would call it a mental health day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would force myself just to sometimes um, when I had an apartment, I would put on a VCR because it was so old. I was so 
it was so long ago. Put a well, it sounds like the same time period. The reason I was on the floor was because we had the big speakers, you know, and the day oh, yeah. speakers and, and I could lay between the speakers and it was such an immersive experience because I could feel the music, not just listen to the music because I was right there, right there in between those speakers laying on the floor and yeah, experiencing that. So yeah, same time period, VCRs, the whole bit. It. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> what did you listen to? Who were your people? Who was, who was, what was the voice out there? Oh, um, the one that I really, really remember is, um, oh my goodness. Can I come up with the name of it? Um, what did look like, or he, it was, I can't make you love me. Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt. Yes. Oh, thank you. I could I see this album color cover, but I couldn't see the I couldn't see the name for a minute. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. The exact okay. So she would there and then something Sade and then some jazz about the follies. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I would sing it. The worst voice in the world. Um, if dogs would howl next to me, it would be, but it it something about those words and the music, yes, and movies and um, reading, um, nature, they were very inexpensive things that I could access, but they were always accessible. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, and your life looks very different now. So share a little bit about that journey back to a place of feeling, because, you know, going through abuse as a child is so, it's so, so challenging because your very foundation that you're, that you're mm-hmm. growing in as a child is basically taken away. Like there's, you know, there's no, like you're talking about the roots of the, right. of the tree. And it's like your roots had no place to really grow in. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's that, you know, loss of trust, loss of security, loss of safety, which are fa- foundational, fundamental right. things for a child. So um, share with us just a little bit about what, what life looks like for you now, or, you know, a little bit about that healing journey that you, that you took. Um, well, I was fortunate enough um, my dad is a petroleum engineer and we, he took a job overseas. And so we moved to several different countries. And in that process where I was able to go from country to country in a completely new setting, a new language, uh, culture, food, everything, temperature, weather, I was able to re create myself. And I had a lot of alone time. So I didn't have the same friends. So I had to force myself to make new friends, new schools, but I kept on thinking of it more as a challenge, like, okay, I'm going to make new friends. I have to be friendly. I think I also have had the mindset of a survivor Mm -hmm. where I recognize that, that I, I wanted to swim. I didn't want to sink. And I had a lot of anger and I didn't want my father to win. Um, so I used that anger to succeed. And I have to say, I used the anger that I had about my son, Brian, 
to persevere, to look for solutions. And I think sometimes when you're at a loss, whatever you're feeling, if it's anger, if it's, um, I'm just going to take the anger. I would use my anger. I'm like, okay, I am cleaning my, my bathtub today. I'm cleaning my sink. I'm going to get these things done. I'm going to exercise. How else can I use this energy to serve me? And I think sometimes you have to look at yourself, like how do I, like right now, if it is sitting on the couch and crying, then, then serve that. That's your, that's how you're serving yourself best, but you can't do that forever. Mm -hmm. So then pick yourself up and find another way, whatever that thing that's pulling you down, how can it serve you writing, um, creating, drawing, walking, uh, moving your body in some way to just kind of, if, if it involves cleaning, I think that's something that I recognize that I have to use whatever this is. Maybe it's not the most positive thing, but I'm going to use this negative to work for a positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all that movement. answered your question. Well, absolutely. So all that movement just shifts, shifts the energy, creates movement. You know, our body is all about movement. Our emotions create chemistry and the movement helps to keep that, keep that moving and keep us alive. And, and when you talked about being a survivor, it sounds to me like you really championed yourself. You championed yourself. You championed your kids. You learn to just to be there for yourself instead of, instead of just folding in and going, okay, this is it. You, you right. use that energy, like you said, to go, okay, I don't want to be in this down space my whole life. I don't want to think of myself as just a victim. I, I want to be a survivor. I want to, I want more. And, and so you, you went after that more. Yeah. You know, oh, and at the same time, my mom, who was my best friend, um, well, all at one time, my husband was having an affairs with my girlfriends, which was such a betrayal. I can't even tell you. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was, I was nursing her through that. And then Brian got diagnosed with a brain tumor. So I just felt like it was a double whammy. I remember every time putting, why me? Why me? But I don't look at it that way. Um, now I think it's just sometimes we have unexplainable acts that happen to us and they may happen over and over again. And the survival instinct me now just kind of goes, and how are we going to get through this day? How are you going to thrive? And through that, I think it's sort of like a, a repetitive record. Like how am I going to make the best of this day? This is a gift this didn't happen to my mom. My mom passed, but this is a gift. I'm here. How am I going to serve myself and honor my mother in the same sense? How am I going to honor myself today? And I think that was kind of like the same story that I kept on finding over and over again, but I found it challenging to let people into different spaces of this because that's always hard because we live in a world full of people. So I could do that with myself, but to allow like extra, extra happy people into my space, sometimes I wasn't ready for that or mm. going to work, you know, um, where I'm not equipped to do that because I'm going through so much emotional grief or anger. Um, Just a lot of turmoil. 
Turmoil, exactly. Trauma. And I, that was a whole different thing that I recognized and how do I let people into my life and how do I manage that? And what I recognized too, that I have to be vocal and sharing with people that around, around me, like I'm having, Oh, sorry. I just need like two minutes. I'm just having a tough moment just to take myself cry, you know, share with people how I was feeling. I had to be professional too. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a way to be professional in what I was doing. And I was working with um, families who um, work for the public health department as a resource provider um, who have just their children had been diagnosed with special needs and I would help them find resources. And so I had to be professional, but sometimes I just wasn't up to it. Or my son's at home having 63 seizures and someone else is taking care of him. And I'm at work thinking like, why am I at work? And I'm just feeling miserable. And so it was kind of hard to navigate. That part was harder. It myself was easier, but navigating the world when I was grieving was a whole different set of of problems, not problems, but obstacles. Obstacles. Yeah. Well, and and you mentioned this earlier too, with, with your kids and saying, you know, when your your kids would see you crying and you're just upfront with them and you just said, you know, mommy's sad right now, it's going to be okay, but mommy's sad right now. And I just need to cry for a minute and, and being able to vocalize that to coworkers and say, I just need two minutes. I Mm -hmm. think that is just, again, championing yourself. It's, it's, being real with the moment, being real with other people and not hiding the, the experience. Um, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Tell us a little more about the book and where people can locate you. Oh, um, actually you could find it at, at any bookstore. Um, Amazon's probably the most easy that we all access. Um, Barnes and Noble, um, really I, I'm in every space that you could possibly purchase a book, I'm there. (laughs) And if you do pick up a book, it's called Under the Orange Blossoms, and it's written by me, Cindy Benezra. Um, Please give me a review, or if you want to reach out to me at any time, um, ask me a question. I am so open to help. I'm here. I'm here to serve you. I really am. So reach out to me. Awesome. And where can they find you? Cindy Talks, um, www.cindytalks.com. Okay. Cindy Talks. Okay. Good. Good to know. And again, the name of the book is Under the Orange Blossoms. I'm glad you you shared again the name of that book. Looking forward to that. That is awesome. And that book just came out recently, right? Yeah. It's new. Who knew? I didn't, I failed my journalism and everything, but who knew you, you know, you could actually fail and then end up writing a book at the end. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a, it's a beautiful book. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Cindy. I think you've, you embody hope. You really embody hope and, and all the, all the challenges that, that you've faced and you stand in your place and you go, okay, what can I do now? What, you know, how can I serve others even in this space? You're, you're helping and serving. So sure. Appreciate that. Thank you. Grateful to be here. Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I am so grateful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really fun for Cindy and I to be here with you for more on grief, hope, and healing, visit buildalifeafterloss.com and we'll see you next week. Love you and have a good week. 